the posture of humility realizes if God doesn't use you for something, he is God and he's perfectly capable of using someone else. Welcome to The Hymnal. I'm Daniel Lachey. On today's episode, we'll be featuring a conversation I had with my friend, Rich De Castiglione. He just happens to be in Europe and his band, KXC, are doing amazing things. Rich, my friend, it is lovely to have you on the show today, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Yeah, thanks so much for having me along. Anytime, man. Anytime. So first of all, let's start at where you currently are located. Where do you live? What is home for you now? My wife, Lydia, and I, we live in a town called Tunbridge Wells, which is about an hour outside of London um, in the UK, the promised land, England. So I grew up in the middle of England. We moved around a whole bunch. My dad's a, a pastor, and and then I went to a boarding school, which looked like Hogwarts from Harry Potter. And then I, you know, spent a few years travelling all over. After leaving school, uh, I spent some time living in Africa, and landed in Holland, and met this beautiful Dutch woman who's now my wife. And uh, we've been married nine years, got three kids, and uh, it keeps getting better. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So how did living in multiple countries help shape your formative years? I first went to to Burkina Faso in Africa when I was 16. Um, And I'd say that totally started shaping my whole worldview. Um, Being aware of our extreme uh, privilege uh, to be growing up in a country like the UK and seeing the most desperate poverty, it totally shaped my values, my perspective on the world and the things that I'm passionate about. And then later on, you know, spent some time in Kenya, lived in Western Kenya, so making some really bad hip hop with some local guys. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I, my, my whole feeling on, on our journey into the heart of God is so much of the time we ask him to give us more of his love. And actually, the Bible is very clear that his heart is burning for the, for the poor, for the dispossessed, for the oppressed. And as we ask him for more of his love, actually, he gives us more of his compassion. So that's, that was my experience of living abroad. Um, being exposed to different cultures made me painfully aware of things in our culture that are in, you know, unjust and things that need to change, uh, but hopefully got more of God's heart for for the whole world and not just for our little corner of it that we think is (laughs) the be all and end all. So how do you live in that tension of being able to see those that are hurting and in pain and what the Bible clearly says that Christians should do in terms of them and then the world that you naturally live in? How do you live in that in-between space? Yeah, I think that's that the tension is where, you know, Jonathan Helser says there's no, there's no music without tension. I think that tension is real. Pete Hughes from KXC describes it as Jesus declared the kingdom of God is here. And we're aware that it it hasn't fully come. And we live in this now and not yet. 
we believe that he's in the process of making all things new. And our role on the earth is to be agents of renewal and transformation, to prophesy those things into being, but also to actively participate in building a better society that can allow all human life to flourish and reflect more of God's goodness and to honour the image of God in each other in all cultures and at all times and all places. I think this year more than ever, we can't do that without reflecting on the ways that we have all participated in systems of injustice or have you know, suffered at the hands of injustice. And it's a global thing. It's a society thing. We Christians should be at the forefront of calling those things out and calling the church higher. That is beautiful. Part of me honestly wishes that you were in the States because I wish more people <laughs> who were not, I'll say it this way, who were not chocolate, who did not look like me, would say the things that you just said and actively want to participate, you know? Mm. It's been a real challenge to me. I mean, I felt really convicted about how little I've actively participated in that struggle and humbled and, you know, want to learn to listen more. But if we don't start asking the questions, if we, if we spend our whole time protecting sacred cows, then what are we doing? You mentioned KXC. Explain more about that. Tell us what that's like. Tell us how it started, all the stuff. KXC is King's Cross Church, and it was a church that was planted in central London about 10 years ago. The real heart of KXC is that God is making all things new. That's the, the thing that we all gather around. So it's right in the heart of this place where you have extreme poverty meeting with extreme wealth. King's Cross is the transport hub of London. And so you've got all these worlds colliding together. And out of that, a church was born and it's it's grown. And I moved to, to London to start university. I studied um, African and Asian politics and development. And my halls of residence was next door to KXC. And I was like, okay, this is pretty handy. So I'm going to go to this church. And for us, we found an incredibly inspiring community, amazing Bible teaching. You know, Pete Hughes is the, the he's actually a, an Anglican vicar, but he's the pastor and, you know, one of the best teachers of the Bible in the world, I would say. Uh, and we got to be part of that church and it shaped us so much, it grounded us in the word and it's been a real gift. So, and then the last few years, we've been able to be part of releasing songs and music out with KXC Worship, um, which has been a real exciting adventure learning how to write songs for for the church and um and yeah we're just getting started really it sounds like you were at the church kind of close to the beginning and you've journeyed along with the church for a while how would you say that you as a participant as someone who is involved in the congregation how would you say you've seen the church grow and evolve and how has that changed you over the years I think the leadership have always been really good at articulating where the church is at in a season. And and we remember, you know, the early days, there was there was maybe, I think it was just Pete and B, his wife, the only ones with kids. And now there's 
there's loads and loads of kids and we had our kids uh our, you know our first kids there and and so that that's you know the church has to grow and adapt and shift and it, in terms of numbers it's grown massively but the heart of KXC has always been to see what is God doing um, in the area and how can we bless that and participate in that rather than we're going to start a million initiatives and in, expect everybody to join on our our thing. It's like KXC has always looked around, looked at the charities, you know, maybe it's serving in prisons, serving ex-offenders, food banks, um, you know, single mums, how do we care for them? And it's just thrown its resources and its people and volunteers behind them, and and so it's having an amazing impact on on the area, and and on the people who get involved. You can't not, you know, do that stuff and come away the same. Um, so it's 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 definitely shaped us a lot in terms of our theology, our thinking, and our awareness of our role in the world is to be agents of transformation that both declare the kingdom of God, but also participate in building, um, you know, righteousness and justice and, and all those things. Particularly with the worship stuff, with KXC worship, um, we you know we we did a live album. Was it last year, the year before? Lose track of time. Um, in in this venue called Scala, which used to be an old pornography cinema um, years back, um, and we did this night of worship in, and we recorded this live album in that, and and the whole sort of heart of it was you know this song you will make all things new um and i think that that's a really incredible prophetic declaration just the the act of worshiping in such a dark place um and and so now the church is just starting to meet together again in person um and what's really exciting is it's in that same building that we hired for that night of worship a few years ago um in a place called scala and so that's that's really exciting i mean it, we haven't had a chance to go along ourselves and I think it's, you know, there's all the awkwardness, social distancing and masks and all the things, but I, I kind of, I just love that picture of the church inhabiting the space that used to be so given over to darkness and redeeming it as a place of worship. And I think with KXC worship, we're just, we're writing so much, so many more songs and so many new writers are coming through in the church and, you know incredible worship leaders i kind of really feel like you know in the beginning we were we were trying to sort of figure out how do we write songs for the church and some of those songs are really great and the church picked them up what's exciting to me is moving into this space where actually there's more of a a move of people who want to engage deeper in worship in the church and the songs that that are coming out of that place rather than us just trying to give songs to the church. It feels like there's more of a culture of people who really want to go deeper in worship and then the songs are the overflow of that.
the act of worshiping together in sung worship that you know that's one pathway of worship as you say sometimes we just take that as like that okay that's worship that's the box we put worship in and that's so reductive but that is it you know that is a biblical beautiful it's a way that we can actually be unified with our whole bodies with our voices with our spirits actually kind of singing and liturgy are the two actions where we with our mouths we declare the same thing and liturgy can be quite dry it can be done really well but it can also be quite dry but singing is a big part of that so people going deeper in worship for me is a less about just singing songs and going through the motions and more expressing a heart cry from our whole beings and and often that means sort of launching past the songs and into space of intimacy with him I think that's a big part of it, but we have to broaden our perspective on worship and we have to view our whole lives as an act of worship. We've been talking about it for so long in the church and now is this incredible opportunity with COVID for us to actually figure out, you know, do we really mean that or are we just going to sort of fight for our right to do the things that we always used to do because that's the only way to worship? Or are we actually going to discover that how we care for the poor around us is about worship? You know, how we combat injustice, how we raise our children is all part of a, a life of being a living sacrifice unto him. Um, you know, It's in homes, it's in the workplace, it's everywhere. And it's all about our, our posture towards honouring him rather than you know chasing after our ambition are we trying to build a career a name for ourselves and you know i think so often the danger of the worship music industry is that it's created those incentives towards building a career out of big songs or whatever and the heart has always has to be about serving whatever it is it's got to be about serving and i would love to see worship teams music teams whatever you call them rediscovering that heart for service and i know that like so many people really get that so well and lots of churches cultivate an incredible culture for that but i wonder if more broadly we need to stop looking at the people on the stage as the ones doing the worship for us and more see it as this is something we're all participating in and it's all about how do we honour God, both with our songs, but also how do we honour the image of God in the dispossessed and the poor and the oppressed. So it's all the things, all the time. <laughs> you know, act, act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with God. You know, those, the two real things I really feel burning in my spirit this season. So I'm going to get feisty now, but are humility and repentance and those two pathways you know humility always holds the door open for repentance it has this posture of god you are god i'm not god and so you lead me to my knees because that's where i belong before you in adoration in worship in service washing the feet of others and so those two things are, i feel like are real plumb lines where we're in this season of so many things have been challenged, shaken, fallen away. Even 
the apparatus of what we've called worship for so long. It's been put to one side in many contexts. What is the plumb line to get us through? You know, what what's our compass? And it's humility and repentance. And so that that's how I feel like the Lord wants to lead us into. You know, it's less about the church rising up and more about taking a knee and, and considering what are the things that we need to ask forgiveness for and repentance for. And it is about division and it is about political spirits and it from both sides of the spectrum. It's about all of the things. You know, we have to rediscover that the heart of Jesus is a heart of a servant. And a servant doesn't stand on the table and shout. A servant kneels down and washes the feet of the Samaritan or the neighbor or whoever it is, the person who makes you afraid. And having the courage and the humility to take that posture, I think, is where God wants to lead his church. As creatives, I believe we are all searching for language. Language to describe not only where we've been, but where we want to go. And not only where we want to go, but where we hope those around us will journey with us too. And so in doing so, as Rich has mentioned, go beyond the music and go beyond the song, I asked him, would he tell us more about what he means by this? I think it'd be hard for me to explain without describing this incredible move of worship in the UK for the last 10 years. This thing called David's Tent that we've been a part of, and for the last nine years, I think it was about nine years ago, some guys, they got together and they said, hey, let's put on a festival. And they were thinking about, what if Jesus actually came to this thing? What would we do? And the answer was, what else could we do but worship? It was this conference where there's no talking. It's just 72 hours of nonstop worship through the day and night. We went along the first year randomly through a friend of a friend. And I went, you know, I've been leading worship since I was 12 years old. And I was like, I've got this, I've got this worship thing down. You know, I know all the Matt Redmond songs and you know, all the chords and all the things. And we went to this Davis tent thing and and my box for worship was totally blown open it's grown in the last nine years from 600 to 6,000 people there's this culture at david's tent where the congregation the crowd the collective of worshipers they take over and the guys on the stage they're just completely lost in wonder and awe and they stop singing you know known songs and you just hear the sound of many many waters many voices pouring out uh, spontaneous praise to him and um, it the purest adoration there's no uh, it's not about the concert it's not about who's on the stage it's about being fully captivated by Jesus so that that for me is like that space beyond the song is where you know the click track gets done away with and I just think back to so many moments at David's tent where we've just been pinned to the floor such a deep awareness of the presence of God. He's not far off, but he's there dwelling in and among us. And this holy fear descending on us, and we're just flat on our faces, just in in adoration of him, just pouring out our tears and our shout and our cry and our silence and our snot, (laughs) all the things.
that's been a move of worship that's been birthed in the UK and we've seen that sort of bleed into church life in so many ways. We would do these worship nights throughout the year and we're not advertising really like who's leading worship. We barely tell people about this thing and we just have like 700 people show up in central London and just completely go after God in unity and in passion and in this incredible community of friends that's been birthed out of it. And so some of our best friends have come out of those contexts of, of coming together in those, those places. The song you're currently listening to is called You Revive Us. It was released exclusively on YouTube through our co-writing community, Hymnal Records, featuring Uriah Garay. When you have a moment, feel free to go listen to the whole song. We are so proud of it. In an effort to provide a little bit more context, this episode was recorded during 2020 during the height of the pandemic. I thought that would be helpful to know moving forward. I'm a worship leader, first and foremost. It's my favorite thing in the whole world to do is to lead worship. And I love nothing more than worshiping with other people. So this season's been really hard in that sense. But on the other hand, and again, this comes back to the whole repentance thing, it's been really exposing to me how much have we made worship about how does it make us feel, you know, but worship should never have been for our benefit, but it's for his glory. And it's actually in his kindness and in his mercy that we share in his delight when we worship him. And so I'm excited for when we get back together at some point, because COVID will go away. But when that day comes, when we get to worship, God, that we'd come back together with a purer heart. That it's not about the pleasure or the breakthrough or the feeling that we get out of worshiping but it's about his glory and that manifests in how we love our neighbor and also how can we not tell people about the love of Jesus when we've experienced it for ourselves. So evangelism, outreach, our getting our heart of compassion, our hearts broken for the lost. Those are the things I'm excited about seeing. And in that way, it goes beyond the song in that spontaneous expression, but it also goes beyond the, the song in how can we come away from that experience the same? When we really experience the heart of God, how can we not be moved by his compassion? There's a lot of things being exposed. You know, have I just been doing this because it feels good? Or is this actually a response to the righteous king who's in the room? For us, our experiences at Davis Tent have been some of the purest, most authentic expressions and encounters with God. But the heart of God is that it's never about encounter, but about cultivating a lifestyle where we're not just 
receiving manna from heaven, but actually we're growing fruit. That nourishes us, but it nourishes the people around us. And it contains the seeds to grow new plants in other people so that we celebrate the encounter. We need to encounter God, but that we see encounter in worship as a moment where we receive something that it demands to be grown and that we cultivate our lifestyles and our hearts in a way that is conducive to see that grow into full fruition. That's another <laughs> rabbit trail. But I think worship, you know, as you, as you said, you know, it's not just about songs. And, and genuine encounters, they, can't, they, they, they have to catapult us into a response to him. In case you're sitting out there and you're thinking to yourself, man, I've never been to a worship service or had a moment like anything what you all are describing, don't feel bad. Life is a journey of exposures led by the Holy Spirit. And it's my hope that throughout your life, you'll encounter different moments with God in different spaces and that you also will have the ability to find different language to describe it. And in light of that, the conversation with Rich continues. I felt like the Lord asked me a few questions earlier in the summer that sort of touched on some of this for me. And at the heart of it comes back to the heart, is your heart to serve? We talk a lot about vulnerability, and I feel like we need a lot more vulnerability in our relationships and stuff. But I've, you know, I've seen an expression of what's been described as vulnerability, which is actually just self-pity. And I've seen moments where people have abused the platform of worship for their own cathartic self-expression. And moments like that, they can be liberating for others because it can give people permission to be real with God. And I feel like we do need some of that. But when it gets to a point when I have to say this for my benefit, I feel like the balance is tipped into self-pity and is this more about celebrating the redemption and the goodness of God? Or is this more about me celebrating everybody look at how vulnerable I'm being? You know, vulnerability for me is worth a million times more off the stage than it is on the stage. And when you step on the stage, it should be about the testimony of what God's done that's been walked and lived out. Because vulnerability without accountability to grow, it is just a precursor to self-pity so I, I feel like for worship leaders who've maybe asked that question have there been moments when you haven't been serving you've just been you know expressing your own thing and that, that's what i'd always say for every worship leader every musician every songwriter have multiple expressions of of output if you're a songwriter don't just write worship songs and you know, write songs about whatever struggle you're going through, miscarriage, divorce, whatever. It doesn't all have to, you don't have to funnel your whole creative expression into the 25 minutes on a Sunday morning. Because if that is the only space you get to, to, to outlet, then you, you will abuse it. And doing the new song will be more about being cool rather than actually what is serving this group of people in their encounter with God in this moment. Those are certain questions that, that I've reflected on from a worship leader's perspective are you choosing that song because it's the cool song and you want people to like you 
Or are you choosing that song because that is going to enable the mum who's the single mum who's had to struggle through this week to meet with the father in a new way? And and there's always these push-pull tensions with worship leading. We need to be authentic and genuine in how we lead and with God. But that has to be walked out in our whole lives and not just in in the stage. You, you know, you lay it all out on the stage and then nobody can come close to you because you're not accountable and you've got dreadful character and you're not interested in serving others. If that's you, then please stop leading worship, you know, until you can be in a place where you're actually serving others. And I hope if I ever get in that place that someone says that to me too, because it is a sacred and a holy thing. Leadership is a privilege that's earned. It's a gift that's given. We're not entitled to it through our anointing or our gifting. It is a gift and a privilege that church leadership or whatever leadership bestows on us. And we have to respect that. And the goal as a worship leader always has to be leading people to adoration of the Father. I love Jonathan Helser again. He, he often talks about how if there's a tour guide at the Grand Canyon who leads a group on a tour, and if at the end of it all of the people on the tour are saying, how amazing was that tour guide, rather than how incredible is this Grand Canyon experience. That's so true for worship. If if we're coming away from it and all we're talking about is, oh, you know, when that person did that amazing thing and, you know, when the drummer did that groove, you know, something really broke in the atmosphere rather than, wasn't Jesus amazing? Isn't he so good to us? Like that has to be the response. And I know that we need to encourage each other and cheer each other on and recognize the gifts that God's given each other and so all things in balance, but I do wonder if we need to rediscover that. It, and, and actually, COVID, God works all things for the good. It's not from him, but I do feel like some of these questions will naturally come out as we're in this time when, honestly, leading worship into a camera doesn't feel good. And it, it's kind of awkward and there's no sort of feedback from the room or whatever you know there's no atmosphere to feel out and and I, I feel like i'm personally really challenged you know is this about me or is this about leading and serving others and i have that i you know i have that wrestle myself so i'm not saying i've got it all sorted but those sort of niggling itches we have to respond to them his heart is towards the humble and he resists the proud. And that's still true. Nothing's changed on that. So if we want to be leading, then the posture of humility and servant heart has to be at the heart of it. And for worshippers who maybe you're not not a worship leader or or see yourself as a worship leader, I kind of feel like you know the Bible says that I'll see your good good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. That's what Jesus says. So everybody's a worship leader you know we're all discipling everybody around us whatever whether we know it or not if you don't get to lead others in in the way that we understand it currently how do we know if worships we've made worship about us i i kind of feel like even just asking god that question is is a good start
again, it can't, you can't think of worship in isolation as just music, but I feel like the common sense in a lot of culture has become so focused on our calling, our destiny, and we've chased after this stuff. A lot of it is just dressed up ambition, and God wants us to pursue His kingdom, which is a collective pursuit. We can't just be searching after our own calling. I kind of feel like, as a worshipper, the invitation is, how do you serve somebody else's gifting who's around you? How do you serve somebody else's calling, whatever you want to call it? And what is the seat of honor? Don't take it. You know, take the lowest seat and then be invited up to the top. That's what Jesus says. So how do we do that? That's a challenge that we can all engage with and reckon with in our worship as our whole lives. Are we basically worshipping so that we can get a breakthrough? Or are we worshipping him because he's worthy of our worship? I know like some of this might be a bit of a, a bit of a challenge, but you know, are we are we worshipping him for for the blessings that we can get out of him? Are we worshipping so we, we, we can get a high that we need it? We need I need my fix of worship. Um, you know, so I whack the headphones on and blast it up and don't get me wrong, we we do need to encounter God. And as I said before, song worship is an incredibly wide pathway that we all need and we need to do that. But are we are we using worship for an end other than just for his glory and for his honor? And that's the challenge. We talk about that a lot at Davis Ten. You know, we see so many healings, so many deliverances physical healings emotional spiritual i mean there's incredible testimonies but we're always very clear that's not why we're here we're here to worship him just because he's worthy if jesus didn't do one more miracle from now until the end of this earth he would still be worthy of every single breath that we breathe until we get that perspective until we keep using the instruments of worship to to an end other than to glorify him, then we need to come back into a healthier balance. And the tension is there because he does bring breakthrough and I've seen it. He's done that in me. He's done that in so many people. And so it's not like we just disregard all of that stuff, but we do need to bring back to the balance. What is our motivation here? Are we using worship for an agenda other than glorifying him? If all of a sudden that question hit you and you've never been faced with it before, well, welcome to The Hymnal. It's a podcast for creative songwriters, local theologians to share their insights, share the things that they're learning, share the things that they've grown to embrace. These struggles that we, we face from day to day, these tensions from the now and the not yet, the spiritual and the natural, and the hard work of finding language to articulate the journey that we're on or that we're hoping to adventure on together. And so instead of saying, Rich, stop there, this is only for people who want to travel the shallow waters. I thought, you know what? <laughs> That's not true. I want all of us, myself included, to be challenged to go beyond the thoughts that we had yesterday and to learn from those around us. So buckle up, grab your popcorn, grab your water, enjoy the ride. Worship should be to God 
for God and about God. So when worship becomes an act of rebellion, is it to God? Is it for him? Is it about him? I'm not sure. And, you know, it's not for me to to say, you know, definitively one way or the other. I kind of feel like praise, protest isn't really praise because it's not really about him. But protest for something that's on the heart of God can be an act of praise. That's the sort of nuance in it. And I don't know if I want to, you know, really point fingers any further than that, but I, I just feel like that's the invitation of, particularly now when there's a lot of discussion about what's our rights and what's our freedoms, and particularly in the US, you know, my understanding is we laid all of that stuff down at the cross. Actually, our, 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 our rights, I, you know, what does that even mean? Our invitation is to take up our cross and follow him. It's to love and serve others around us. And so maybe serving people around us looks like protecting them from a deadly virus by, by not having, you know, not doing the things that you want to do for a season because it's going to go away. And, you know, these are my convictions. So there are other people who, who think very differently, who, who have a deep, incredible relationship with God, probably deeper than mine. And so it's not for me to say that they, they're not hearing from him, you know, but just when I look at it as a whole, it grieves me to see how the act of collective worship has become a contentious issue. It's more that why would you be fighting that battle when you've got such obvious systemic injustice that is so much more important? And and actually, the Bible is very clear in Amos 5. If you don't care about justice, it's not that he's indifferent to our songs, it's that he hates them. And he actually wants us to shut up and sit down. So where is God's heart for justice and how are we engaging with that? And yes, we can be passionately fighting for justice and also be singing. You know, it's not one or the other. But, you know, is this the most important battle that we're fighting now for our own personal rights and our own personal freedoms? I have to ask the question. Is that really what's on God's heart right now? Again, does the church need to rise up or do we need to take a knee and prayerfully consider how has the church participated in systemic injustice for centuries and not only failed to come to repentance over it, but actually attacked anybody who's suggested that this is a reality? And it grieves me and I believe it grieves the heart of God that you have people who who just don't understand the pain of others that you know we've lost the gift of empathy I wrote this song the other day Lord forgive us Lord heal us Lord help us to do better and it was just this sort of pouring out of all these things that I feel like we need to come to that place of repentance from collectively and um, you know, I'm I'm a white man living in the UK, uh, which is a nation that has prospered off the back of slavery. And until I reckon with that, and until I reckon with my own white privilege, and you know, become a a listening, humble ally, then I feel like I don't have any right to 
to step up and tell anybody else what they should be doing with their lives, like particularly other communities that I don't understand the experience of that racism. So why should I, you know, tell you to shut up and get on with it? Because I don't understand the pain of what it means to be struggling against that. My hope is that I can engage with that well, that I can teach my kids to do better and that we could see the church really healed more broadly and beyond politics, beyond race, and that we get back to this heart of how do we serve others that maybe aren't like us? How do we make a space for those who've been traumatized by the police or whatever it is uh, to process those things well and that we don't minimize, we actually recognize this is an issue that's worth fighting for more than fighting for my right to sing songs in public. You know, I'm a British guy and we've got our own systemic racism over here. And and so I don't, you know, what I say into American culture doesn't have as much purchase, obviously. And I probably, you know, our church, KXC, they've just started this really good series. You definitely check it out on conversations on race. And I just love that they're, they're having that conversation. And they had the first episode last Wednesday it's going to be a series i feel like i've got so much to learn you know so so much that we haven't talked about and and we have to interrogate the history of our movements why do we blindly give allegiance to anything other than jesus um just because that's how we were you know brought up or what our parents believed and let's look at the history soberly and not be afraid to challenge the sacred cows. I really feel like we need to do that in the church. And that's the challenge is how to do that well um, in a way that, that causes more healing than division. I feel like the posture of humility has to ask the question, you know, how have I participated in this? Or, you know, being apathetic towards it um, and in, in so doing actually participated in it. And, how have I minimized or just been sort of oblivious to certain interactions and settings that are actually genuinely traumatic for people of color? And that's something that I'm starting to understand. You know, when I watched the, the video of George Floyd, I sat down, you know, I wrote a song and, and the first line of it was, I feel sick but it's much too late. And I think that that sums up how I've felt towards it. I've been convicted about how little have I listened, um, how little have I allowed myself to feel the righteous anger of God about the sin of racism and its stain upon the church and its stain upon our, our societies that have been built on the back of slavery so yeah, I think that, you know, songwriting is how I process a lot of this stuff. But but that, that feeling of, yeah, I feel sick now, but it's much too late is, uh, you know, that, that's how I felt about the whole thing along, just convicted. How long has this been going on? And I haven't clocked that this is, this is a really big deal. And I know that people of, people of color have been talking about it for a long time and, 
and so often they've been told to you know sit down and be quiet what are you complaining about and i just grieve that that that's been used to what we've lost is so much of the voice of people of color in the church not that they're, they're just included but actually they belong that their voice isn't just heard but it's listened to um, and valued and respected as equally as important as any other voice at the table. This question came to mind earlier, and I don't know where it's from, because I haven't asked anybody else I've recorded this with this question. So I'll just ask you, like I heard it, feel free to take it wherever you want to. Is there anything in you that you are really, really certain of, be it theological, be it spiritual, be it philosophical, whatever, that you were really certain of when you were younger, that has shifted over the years, but when you were younger, you were like so set in stone on it that you thought it would never shift. And over the years, you're like, well, I don't see that the same at all. It's changed a whole lot. Mm. And it's not about race at all. Because obviously the whole world's having to face that. But anything else that to you really stands out as, man, I really believe this strongly. And it's it's reformed, it's reshaped, it's different now. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess one example, and it's not super recent, but I remember, I remember thinking, hey, Catholics, what's that about? Um, you know, and, and I, I had this feeling of, um, that it's almost like a different religion. And then I met this nun when I was in Holland and oh, I can't describe how full of the love of Jesus she was. And, um, she's, you know, um, and we just talked about him together and she, you know, she would, we were at this very charismatic conference and she would be at the front on the floor, you know, completely uh, full of the Holy Spirit, just in, in adoration. And then she would walk down the road and go to the local mass, and she would have the same level of deep, genuine, authentic encounter with God at mass as she would at the Catholic, uh, the charismatic conference with all the fancy band and the flags and the shofars and all the things. And I think for me that that was a challenge that challenged my thinking about I thought that I had the fullness of the truth and, and you know and then just coming to this realization of actually the you know Protestant reformation I believe is a really good thing in many ways um but one of the things that we've lost through it is we've been orphaned from three quarters of our church history because we've written it off as catholic or whatever it is and actually, we've got so much to learn from those guys, and we don't have it all together. Probably they don't have it all together. There might be some things that we disagree on, but actually, they love Jesus. And, you know, some of, you know, there's more charismatic Catholics than there are Protestants. I think that's true, um, statistically, in terms of their relationship with the Holy Spirit. Maybe worth checking that because, um, uh, but but that that was one thing. That's one thing that I felt challenged and convicted on. Um, 
I'd say, I'd say for me, it's been less about leaving behind the things that I used to believe and more, uh, my theology is, I've hope has come into more of a balance and I've, you know, I've spent a lot of time listening to teaching that was heavily weighted to finding your destiny and having influence and all that side of it. And rather than an emphasis on how do you serve and how do you lay down your life for somebody else? And I hope that I've come to more of a balance on it. So I, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that I've had lots of things where I've, I've left behind a lot of the orthodoxy that I grew up in, but I, I would say that there's an emphasis that has shifted, um, that perhaps hasn't shifted more broadly in the church. And so then starting to uh, just reckon with some of that and reflect on it um, rather rather than holding on um, to something that I'm nostalgic about because those are the glory days. Reflecting on in what ways was that God, in what ways was that somebody tipping the balance too far the other side and and how do we how do we find Jesus in the middle of all of that? Um, Jesus is so good at us not owning Him. He, you know, there's 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 as many verses for one side of the spectrum as there is for the others, and um, I, I love what Pete Hughes again describes so often that we we ask God to give us a map, uh, but actually He wants to be our guide. And we want to have it all worked out. We want to know what where we're going and the 10 steps to get us there. And actually, Jesus just wants to walk with us. I'm writing down that phrase. We ask God to give us a map and actually he wants to guide us. Mm. So if we, if we had a map, we wouldn't need him. And, uh, yeah. I think the the other thing I'd probably say is, and again, this is about emphasis rather than about changing stuff, but whether I fully believe this or not, but just that Jason Upton said something really profound a few weeks ago about how when, when man wants to meet with God, we gather a crowd. But when God wants to meet with man, he often leads us into the desert. And... This season when we're in now in COVID, it feels like a desert. And I don't know if I ever fully believe this, but this feeling of like, hey, of course God wants us to be happy and have everything we want all the time. And um, and just coming to a deeper understanding of, of actually, maybe God is leading us to the desert to meet with us. Because when we're in the palace, we don't understand our need for him as fully as as we should and and covid has done that for all of us it's made us so deeply aware of our urgent need for him in a way that perhaps we didn't feel it before but it's not like we need him more than we needed him then because we always need him we need him for every breath and and that deeper awareness of that um I, i i think is something that i'm coming to understand that sometimes Suffering is an invitation to a deeper understanding of, of God. And it, 
and an invitation into a deeper compassion for others as well. So God can redeem all those things and turn it for the good. But blessing perhaps doesn't always look like us getting what we want. You know, he's much better at knowing what we need than, than we are. And I, I wrote this other song recently uh, called, called God is Our Provider. And, and the last verse is, Let the waiting not be wasted. Use the water of my tears to bring new life up from the ashes and let it grow beyond my years. Let my children reap the fruit and know there's nothing they should fear. And the song always be on their lips that God is our provider. And this this idea that God can take our deepest pain and use it to bring forth fruit that's going to nourish future generations. And so that deeper understanding, rather than like, yeah, God wants to bless you with everything. And it's it's actually, when we get to eternity, we'll understand all the ways that the cup of suffering was to be received rather than rejected. If I'm being completely honest with you right now, one of my favorite things about having these conversations is asking my friends to share openly about where they are and what wisdom they would like to impart to someone else if they could speak openly. And so here's what Rich had to say. So the one thing I would want to say to songwriters, and I feel like this is this is perhaps a, a gift that goes, you know, stirred up in my heart. And so it might not be for everybody. But in the same way that we should you view leading worship as a servant role that we're serving others, we should view songwriting in the same way. And songwriting is a gift of empathy if you're a musician or songwriter you have a gift that most people don't have so write someone else's song write write the song for you know somebody who's just lost their spouse of 50 years and they're figuring out how to live alone you know write the song of of tragedy for someone else and i just i i think there's there's a lot of people who've more eloquently talked about how narrow the spectrum of worship music and songs has become thematically lyrically and and i wonder if part of that is because we haven't been given permission to write someone else's song because we've transplanted the view of artistry from the world onto the worship industry where it's all about your song you need to release your song and my, my challenge to worship readers and songwriters is, no, your role is to draw out the song within the people that you're leading. And so write someone else's song. Use songwriting as a gift of empathy. Feel someone's pain. Get to know them. And write a song that can be a healing balm for them. That it, that it can, you know, so often we read the Psalms and like we find ourselves in, in them. And, and particularly now all the miserable ones are, are so relevant. Um, but that that would be something I would say. And and I, I guess the other one, which is slightly connected, is, you know, when we talk about calling and gifting and destiny and all those things, just the posture of humility realizes if God doesn't use you for something, he is God and he's perfectly capable of using someone else. And the gift is that he's giving it to us, that we get to do something in partnership with him rather than like, God, I'm doing you such a big favor by writing this song or by doing this thing. 
is actually the gift is that he's giving to us that we get to be his hands and feet and that we get to participate in his mission to renew all things and i feel like that perspective when it comes to uh all parts of life but songwriting as well is it's it's not about your song um it's about releasing someone else's and if you know if you write something that someone else connects with that's incredible because it's a gift from god and that you've got to be a conduit that he's used to do that so it's an encouragement to get active and to do those things but also in the balance of you're not the savior of the world he is and we're not doing god any favors you know, everything we do is a gift from him and so i think we can find a lot more joy in in the small things and the big things as well when we come to that perspective rich thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for your time the wisdom imparted the stories that were shared the challenges that you put out the challenges that you're also processing and trying to live out to the best of your ability thank you for showing up and being the truest version of who you are my friend oh thank you thanks for having me Once again, I want to say a huge thank you to our special guest for today's episode, Rich DeCastiglione. I truly appreciate you coming to share your insights, your wisdom, and your humility with us. I'm so grateful for you, man. I want to also thank Anthony Newman, Kayla Bethridge, Alzheimer Lake, Adam Sabin, Moment, Reveal, Greater Still, Able, and the hymnal writing community for sharing the music for this episode. And all of you who took the time out of your busy days to listen, Blessings over you. Thank you so much for the gift of your time.